Okay, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 173 with my guest, uh, Dr. Don Batson. Dr. Batson uh, taught at Florida Memorial University. She ran a steel band program there, and I learned about her a little bit late in the game, but through my students at NYU, a lot of whom are from the Caribbean, um, various parts of the Caribbean, a lot of them from Trinidad, but from St. John, St. Thomas, you name it. But they all, not all of them, but a lot of them, it just seemed that they all studied with Dr. Batson, and they just kept talking about her as if she was sort of the second coming. And I trust my students when they tell me stuff like that, so... Uh, I wanted to talk with her, and I reached out, and um, she was very gracious to respond and spent some time with me here on Zoom to talk about her career growing up in Trinidad um, and working with students from the Caribbean and teaching steel band, talking about her pedagogy, all that stuff. So she's amazing. She's a national treasure. She is also an amazing composer. She wrote a, a piece called Black Holes Do Exist. And uh, it's mind-bending. So, anyway, hope you enjoy this podcast. This is Dr. Don Batson. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. On your end. Okay, yeah. fantastic. I can hear you just fine. Well, let's um, let's let me sorry. Let me just turn my phone off here. Well, let's gavel this to order. Um, Dr. Dr. Don Batson, um, I am really grateful for you doing this. Sort of out of the blue, I dropped you a line a couple days ago. Uh, and I think we had connected maybe a year and a half or two years ago, again, sort of just fleetingly about a piece of yours. I believe the title is Black Holes Really Do Exist. Is that correct? Black Holes Do Exist. Do Exist, excuse me. Um, because a student of mine, Leroy Simmons, at the time, this might have been two years ago because Leroy, I think, graduated a year, year or two ago. Anyway, Leroy was like, you should check this piece out. And I had never heard of it. And I went and listened to it. And I thought to myself, whoever wrote this is someone I need to talk to. Because this person is insane in all of the ways that I love. <laughs> so I want – take that as a compliment. It certainly didn't come out as, as, as one. But, <laughs> um, but, but the other reason I wanted to talk to you is that your name has come up more often, I think, than almost any other pedagogue in my life um, from the mouths of my students at NYU and from friends of mine in Brooklyn in the steel pan scene there. And almost everybody I, I'm friends with is like studied with you. In one way or another at Florida Memorial, um, Quint Rose, Kendall Williams, Amon Pascal, um, Freddie Harris III, um, Leroy Simmons, like, you know, th- not all of them were my students, but but a lot of them were. And anyway, I just really, I, I, I think based on the way those students are in the world, it must mean that you're really good at what you do. Um, but that's a guess on my end. So I kind of wanted to hear from your end uh, just to sort of affirm what my guess is. But but uh, Dr. Batson, I, I'm really – are you okay with Dr. Batson or Don or what do you prefer? You can call me Don. Okay. All right. I'm I'm a formality guy, so I, it's really hard for me to do that, but I'll, I'll do my best. Um, well, Don – Dr. B. That's what, that's what a lot of my students call me. Maybe I'll – Okay. All right. All right. Well, Don, can, would, you, would you mind just before we get into your – pedagogy and, and your work at Florida Memorial, which I, I feel is just something that needs to be highlighted because it seems to me to be a pretty crucial, in terms of education in the United States, you've had a pretty crucial impact on a lot of people. Um, could you tell me a little bit about like baby Don Batson and what got you into Steel Pan? I mean, you're, you're from Trinidad, is that correct? Yes, I am. And can you talk a little bit, just a little bit about your upbringing and what got you into education and pedagogy in particular, amongst many other yeah. things? Well, my mother's family, uh, all musicians, and she herself 
was a music teacher at Arima Government Secondary School in the east of Trinidad. Mm. And she used to, um, she was very creative. And she'd combine pan with different instruments, pan with violin, pan with clarinet. She was one of the first to do that in the country. And she would use me as her guinea pig as mm. I was growing up, basically. You know, so I play whatever instruments. But to me, the pan is a spiritual instrument. It, it takes you to, takes me, let me speak for myself. Mm-hmm. It takes me to a realm that other instruments don't. And then just the response from others when you play, when they play, and the interaction. Because I'm very much into diversity and inclusion and equity. Mm-hmm. And that instrument to me is the epitome of them all. So growing up, I didn't have a choice. But I myself gravitated towards the pan. And then I studied music education at Hofstra. And mm. my 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 instruments with strings, violin and viola. And when I came back to Trinidad, I um, started teaching at one of the high schools there, Trinity College. And I was the, the first music teacher that they had had. It's a boys, a boys high school. And we, we used the pan mm. as one of the main instruments. And we did well at the, the steel band festivals and one of the bands, Pam Berry, asked me to work with them and um, Pam Berry Steel Orchestra. We also went with um, Invader Steel Orchestra mm. and I've conducted for Renegade Scottish Jit, you know, had asked me to, to conduct when they went on tour. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, you just tossed that off as if he's like your buddy and it was like, you know, I just, you know, of course I worked with Jit. And for someone like myself who grew up in a cornfield in Ohio, Jit Samaru is like a wizard who lives in a mountain, you know, like, like that's the, that's what I think of Jit Samaru and Bugsy and all of those, that, that crew. Um, but I do want to just sort of like you, um, you grew up in Trinidad during a time when the steel band, the steel pan and the steel drum was, um, if not already, but becoming something that was, I mean, the steel drum was not an instrument that, that Trinidadians looked on with pride initially. And, I, I, and I'm curious if you would be willing to sort of, I think a lot of, you know, again, like I grew up in a high school and steel drum was like, this is steel band, you know, and we played ice cream socials and we did all the calypsos and the things that you do, but you know, there's only so much of that history you can glean being in a cornfield. I'm sorry, I keep saying the cornfield, but for you, can you talk a little bit about what that struggle or just what that trajectory has looked like from your vantage point? Well, I think for me, being in two worlds, because I was in the classical world with the strings, you know, playing with orchestra and so on, and um, in I was also in what we call Best Village which was the cultural heritage of, of, our, of, of the people of Trinidad put on the folk heritage. And growing up and, and also going to, to my high school is one of the so-called prestige schools. Mm. And you pulled in different ways because at that time, if I was going to see a music festival to perform, then it was looked at like, oh, Doing to do something special, mm. but if I said that I was going to tour with Best Village or I was going down to the Panyard, then somehow that wasn't looked at. Yeah, yeah. With, with, with but luckily again for me, I'm, I was very lucky in my my family. My mother 
You know, she said, you know, as long as you come back before it's dark. You know, <laughs> when the street know, lights come on, as long as you're home by the street lights come on. That's what my mom's role was growing exactly. up. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and also being a woman in a very, very male oriented field at that time, mm-hmm. it sometimes it became a little bit difficult mm. because people test you. Yeah. But what I found is that even in a group with a hundred men, once you show respect for what they can do and they show respect for what you can do, and then, then it works, okay? Because I don't pretend to be a player like Boogsy. Mm-hmm. I don't pretend to be a player like a five or six-year-old. I'm really good. But I do have, I do have strengths. Yeah. And... I think we can share those strengths. And that is what came through. I've, I've told the story many times when um, one time a manager of a band came, when I'd come back from undergrad and he came to the house and he was looking for Dawn Batson. And I said, well, I'm Dawn. And at that time I was much smaller, mm-hmm. much younger. <laughs> and You can't be a day over like 29. You stop it over there. <laughs> no, no, Quint, no. Quint told me to say that. It's fine. Yeah, that's not like that. That's not like that. <laughs> Smooth sound, but um, but I know better. But anyway, <laughs> so do I. It's fine. <laughs> We're in anyway. Not I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But um, um, so he said that um, but you're a woman. I said, yep, yep, I am. You're very, He's very like, observant. Well done. <laughs> yeah. He said, ah, oh, those men aren't going to listen to you. And he left. Hmm. And then um, uh, a week or so later, uh, the manager then of Palmberry Steel Orchestra came by and he said, I'm looking for Dawn Batson. I said, well, I'm Dawn Batson. And he said, oh, we wanted, you heard about you, wanted you to work with the band for festival. We wanted to do Rite of Spring. And I said, oh, that sounds good, but you see who I am. And he said, yeah, that's Nesta Sullivan. And he said, yeah, no problem. And you know, the rest was history. I had many years working classically with Pambury, you know, means Pambury Chimuranga forward with the struggle, you know? Well, I'm, and, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm curious. You mentioned being, being a woman in a, in a male dominated scene and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a historian, but I, I love the sort of the way the steel band came about and where I sort of start, first started observing the steel band, the thing that blew me away and still frankly to this day is the diversity in the steel band is it's pretty equal. There's a lot of women in there and, and a lot of the women play bass and which is like the most physically active instrument of all. I would say the gender disparities. I feel like the bass section needs more gender diversity. It's all women. Like, like, like there's no, you guys don't let any men in there and it's the most badass part of the section. But I've always, I've always felt like the steel band, like you, like you're saying, it is a very, it initially historically was a very, was, was male. Um, But it has felt like an organism, an ecosystem in which diversity, um, I don't know. It's always felt like less of a less of a struggle to get diversity within steel bands. And anytime they get in a room, it, I don't know. I don't know if the access or just the conversation around it is easier with a steel band. And I don't know why. And again, I am probably glossing over a lot of the complexities and nuances around this that are maybe setting off red flags in your head because I didn't spend my life. I'm not a woman. I didn't spend my life in a steel band. You know, when they were predominantly all male. So. 
I guess what I'm just saying is like, I guess I, I, I agree with you. The steel band has something unique and I don't know what it is. It's hard for me to sort of put my finger on it, but I have noticed some of the, some of the similarities that you're mentioning of this inclusivity yeah. seems to sort of be built into it in some way. Yes, well, women were always part of the history of the steel band, you know, perhaps not as players, but as supporters, as, you know, as organizers. Mm. And then, but the thing again, it goes back to respect. If you go into a band and you show that you can play and you can do the music, they don't care if you're a four-headed monkey, you know. Yeah. It's, you, you'll be accepted, at least the bands that I've known and I've, you know, worked with a lot of bands in my life. And it's always been like that. You could be four years old and be a star. You could be 85 years old and be a star, you know? And yeah. accept you. And that's I've, beautiful. I've played with Phase 2 and Skiffle Bunch in Trinidad, and I've drilled a bunch with Skiffle Bunch for Kendall, Mark, and Odie. And... You know, it's not lost on me that when I'm standing in front of a steel band drilling, I mean, you, you have that experience with Renegades where you're drilling, whether we ride a spring or something or Panberry and you're a woman. I'm a white person standing in front of like, you know, 140 Caribbean people who who and I'm the only white person in the yard and that that responsibility. But again, like you're saying, it, it's trust. It's it's you're communicating. They're human beings. I'm a human being. And once everybody in the room realizes that my intentions are like to make this thing rad. Like, you know, and I don't care about like, you know, I'm willing to make sacri- I'm willing to like my ideas are not good all the time. And it's like you have that conversation. And then over the course of the week, it doesn't take but one or two days. And everybody in the band is like, oh, yeah, he's cool. Like, yeah, I got my eye on him, but he's cool. You know, like, like, like I've always enjoyed that and felt I've, I've felt more welcome in pan yards than I have in most like orchestra rehearsal rooms I walk into. Yes, it's true, because I think panis very very quickly realize your depth if mm. you're someone who just talks a lot and has no depth you you will find yourself isolated mm. you know? and and a true appreciation for the culture that is important if you're a cultural skater then people know you don't want to. You don't want to be skating. Moron, you know. You know, <laughs> cultural skater, cultural. You're cultural, but you're skater. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you're faking it. You know, like I, I agree with you. Like you, I feel like Trini's, but just I, I, people who run steel bands. I mean, because it's not all Trinidadian. In, in Brooklyn, it's there's people from Haiti and Dominican Republic and Grenada and Jamaica, but the the BS meter is pretty high. It's pretty finely tuned, and people know whether or not you are just making up something or whether or not or whether or not you're saying something and you genuinely don't know if what the answer is correct like that people can parse that out really fast and it's like they're they're ninjas at that stuff and i've always then i go and i look at my new music community for example which is predominantly white and i feel like they the bs meter it's like what you guys need to go study with a steel band because you are you're missing a whole lot of stuff you know but well let me ask you like so what what got you you mentioned you had a teacher early on uh, in your life that was really influential um by sort of using you as a guinea pig as you said what where where was the point where you went from being a student to like i actually want to do that for a living that seems like a rad course for me to 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 go on in my life I don't think that point is ever reached. <laughs> podcast over. Good podcast. <laughs> so, you know, I do what I love, and I and I do always. I'm motivated by 
what other people can do. That's why I got into education. Mm. My mother, of course, as I said, was my first teacher and I had an awesome music teacher at high school. But when I see what students can accomplish, and sometimes they tell me that I give them too much, but I don't think so because I see their potential. I've heard that a lot. I wanted to ask you about that. I've had similar teachers and I, and I respect that about certain teachers. And I have that, that little part of me too, is I'm just going to keep heaping stuff on your shoulders until you collapse because you, you don't know that you can actually stand up with all this. You'll be fine. Trust me. Exactly. Exactly. Because to me, the future is always in the young people. Mm-hmm. You know? And when you, when you give them the tools or when you see them do things that they thought that they couldn't do, it's, it's amazing. I, I, that is my joy. That so, is my joy. When how did you get how did you get connected? I, I mean, I'm probably jumping over a huge thing here, but you went from Trinidad. How did you land at Florida Memorial? When when did that happen? Oh, okay. So after I left um, Hofstra and I went back to Trinidad and I taught for a good while, and and that's when I was involved with Pamarine Invaders and Trinity Woodtrin and Renegades, and then in touring with different orchestras. What I found was that contractually, we might have issues. For instance, we're touring in Europe and, and the contract wasn't what it should be. So then I decided to go and study music business. Mm-hmm. And I went to University of Miami. And there I started the steel band program at University of Miami. And then after I went, I created my own PhD program because I wanted a con- They didn't have a music business Uh, PhD. So I created a program that was a combination of music business and international affairs. Can I just stop you for a second? This was at University of Miami. Yeah. You started your own PhD program. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, again, I'm asking the question, like, I want you to just talk to me like I'm two years old because there's a lot of people right now who are like, systems will never change. We'll never do anything like burn it all down. And I just feel like when I talk to people like, I mean, you're not the only one, but like, you started your own PhD program. I'm not, I don't want to imply that systems are easily changed by any means. They're not. But it can be done. So how did, you, how, did you do, how did you do that? I want to start my own doctoral program, and I don't know how. How did you do that? Well, first of all, I had to, you always have to have data. You know? mm. So I had the data. I showed that what I wanted to do was just as, as um, it has, had the body of any other program mm. and I had to convince the, the professors who would be on my, you know, on, on the team, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I had to defend it before right. the, the program began. And in addition, I wanted to, I wanted to be able to write as part of it, compose. I wanted to be able to put on a conference as part of it. I wanted to, to have a whole concert as part of it. In addition to looking at, you know, the economic, um, force that the steel band was. And so I really had to go to different departments mm. and prove to each of them that what I wanted to do was viable. And the accounting department was, mm, yeah, are you sure? And, but, and then the international affairs department and the music department, all three. It, it took a while, but it was what I wanted to do. And that's what I think. If you, if, don't stop your dreams. Don't stunt your dreams. If you want something and you really want it, then then you go. Go for it. 
you might not want to succeed. And it was it was hard, but. Yeah. I've always found that, you know, uh, I mean, I understand why people look, you know, might look at a university system and you're like, oh, my God, they tell me now I have to go talk to accounting as if like accounting is this robot that has no emotions and doesn't care about anything. When in reality, when you go to accounting, there's like a person named Larry who's sitting at a desk who you can talk to because Larry has a wife and a kid and Larry likes music yeah. too. And if like you could just be nice to Larry, then Larry turns around and he's nice to Steve and Steve is nice to Fran who then talks to the boss who loosens up the budget strings. Like that's yeah. sometimes how it works too. And sometimes yeah. you go talk to Larry and Larry's not convinced. And then, but Larry is like, maybe I'll see her again. And then you come back the next time and you say the same thing again, maybe a little different way. And Larry's like, you know what? She's right. Like, there's a Larry. It's not a robot. And I, I always like want to encourage people like don't underestimate the power you have to convince people of your worth. It's just you have to yeah. you have to go in and do it. Like no one's going to do it for you. <laughs> exactly. And admin assistants should be your best friends. Mm-hmm. You know? Because <laughs> be, be friends with the business manager at your school. You know, whoever the secretary is who's handling all the contracts, pick exactly. their take them out for a beer. You won't regret yes. it. Yes, and genuinely, you know. Yes, I I enjoy I enjoy people in all walks of life, and I learn I learn from everyone. I learn from the little ones. I learn from the older ones, and you know that is that to me is a joy. So anyway, that's that's how I was able to do it. It was tough, and defending it was even tougher. But yeah. But so okay, so you got your doctorate at Miami. Then you go. How did you land at Florida Memorial? Yeah, well, I had started the steel band program at University of Miami. Mm-hmm. And so I continued doing that for about a year after I graduated. And then one day, um, I went with one of my students, Elton Anderson, to Florida Memorial. I'd never heard of it, even though it was in Miami. And he was interested in the aviation program. Mm. And when I went there, I went across being you know, a musician. I said, let me go check out the humanities department. So while he was in the aviation department, I went over there and I met a gentleman called um, Alfred Pinkston. And he was the new head of the music department. And he had this idea and I found it was perfect because what he wanted to do was get professionals in the field who would start a new program. And the the genesis of the, the idea was that we take students who were really excellent in the oral traditions, the fields of jazz, gospel, you know, and of course, hearing that, I said, pan, because at that time in Trinidad, you couldn't, you couldn't do it at university. Mm. It was the program hadn't started there. And NIU was the only program here. What, that, what year is this? If you, if you don't mind me asking, what year, what year is this? 1995. 1995, okay. Yeah, and so I said, well, I will come across here and start the steel band program if you can assure me that I can get scholarships for Trinidadians, hmm. Trinidadian students as well. And he said, yeah, that sounds, that sounds, because I, I told him about the steel band and eventually he went down and experienced it himself. Mm. But so, of course, for me, again, after I graduated, I tried to that government. And at that time, they weren't interested in educating panis. But I said, look, if they're not going to do it, I'm going to find a way to do it. And mm-hmm. that was the way. And so organizing scholarships for students. And many of them came up and did dual degrees. 
Mm. And then we had American students as well. So it was really, really an exciting area because you have all these top, top artists. And some of them didn't have the theoretical background. Some did. But what we wanted to do was by the time you left, you would have both the theoretical backgrounds and you'd come in with at a really, really high technical level. So it'd be awesome. Wow. I mean, well, there's, there's, I want to ask you sort of your experience with your first class here in a second, but I, you, you, you highlight something that is a big topic right now, just in the music education world and in specific, like, uh, music theory and music history and the way those are taught and the, the types of learning that we require of students and then the types of learning that we don't. And predominantly rote teaching is left by the wayside. Um, mm-hmm. Just oftentimes because it's very time intensive, but yeah. because it's quicker, it just, just because something's quicker because it's on paper and somebody can just play it and move on, like quicker doesn't always necessarily mean better, but quicker means you can do more. At, in a in a conservatory setting, right? And so historically, it's just like we've sort of leaned on that because it's a way to get students exposed to more stuff over a long period of time. However, what ends up atrophying is the part of your brain that is the way most of the world learns music, including in Trinidad. I mean, people do read in Trinidad. Literacy, music literacy in terms of reading sheet music and stuff like that is rising. But you go to Skiffle Bunch, it's taught, here's your first note, C sharp. Yes. You know, and that's a that's like somebody asking me like I'm really good at bench pressing, right? All of a sudden, Kendall Williams is asking me to do squats, and I've never done a squat before. <laughs> so I'm like here with these huge biceps, and I and I can't squat anything, you know. And and I feel like such a dummy in front of a band of a hundred. And there's a there's a there's an eight year old standing on a milk crate who can learn the tune quicker than I can. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing here with my huge biceps yeah. and my degree from Yale. So yeah. done really fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but, but just to say that I think what it, it's, it's, it's important to me and it's not lost to me yeah. that in 1995, you actually building this requirement in as sort of in doing it the other way, which is like, you're coming from Trinidad. You have all of this other, you, you can do squats like nobody's business. But if I put a sh- piece of sheet music in front of you, all of a sudden you can't lift it above your head. And, that, I, and it's fascinating to me that you, you really made an effort to tie those two together. Can you talk a little bit about, like, you know, now that you're far enough, you're, you're, you're retired and you're, you've looked back on your education. And I'm sort of going to ask the dumb question here. But was that the right approach? How do you feel like over the long haul requiring your students to deal with both? What has been the fruit of that sort of that? specific type of educational labor? I think you'd really have to ask the students about that, how they feel Mm. in their careers. But for me, I think it opens you up because too often we think of of education in general in silos. Mm. We think of history. We think of math. But life isn't like that. Every day you use math. Every day you learn from history, hopefully. Uh, Some of us don't. (laughs) It seems like a lot of us don't, but, you know, (laughs) we should be trying. (laughs) Yes. But but looking at music like that, as it's part, all the the pieces tie together. And I think, for instance, when we did um, music business, they would have to, to actually create a business mm. or in history they'd have to perform the pieces that they were they were studying and that in that way you grow I think as a person and then when you go out into the real world let's say you take those things with you 
So I hope, hopefully, and I hope my my past students will corroborate this. I hope that you're a little less afraid to try something new, mm. because you can see how things work together. And when I look at some of my students, I see them doing. I see them doing different things. Yeah, and so I think it has worked. Well, I. I I mean, I'm asking, I have an, I mean, I have an answer that I feel pretty strongly about, but I, I didn't want to push it on you. But I, I, I feel like what you said, though, that it, to me struck is like, I don't want you to be afraid going into and I don't want you to miss out on something because you are, you have fear or you have insecurity about whether it be about like, if you're afraid of rote learning, and that's keeping you from going to Trinidad and playing with phase two. You got to get over that because you are missing out on corn soup. Let's just even like, forget about the music. You're missing out on Bacon Shark. You're missing out on Maracas Bay. You're missing out on the Savannah and all of the like, all of the amazing stuff that comes with it. And if your fear of rote learning is the only thing that's keeping you from that, that's a bummer. That's a real yes. bummer. And if you're afraid of no, if you're afraid of reading sheet music, you know you're also missing out on Debussy and Ravel and Rite of Spring and all of these other things. It's like that's a bummer too. I'm not saying it's better or worse than corn soup, but it's just another awesome thing that people invented. And let's. It would bum me out if you just never got to participate in that because you were afraid of somebody saying, oh, you missed that note. It was a C sharp instead of a C. Don't you know how to read music? It's like, yeah, somebody's going to say that to you. Yes. But keep your head to the grindstone and just keep pushing because yes. de- the, the, de- the Debussy payoff is worth it. It's exactly. worth it. It's so good. You, you know, listen to it. You know. And then I think another aspect of the program is um, – of any program is you c- – you can't hold on to people. Mm. You know, sometimes people want you to go into the setting and they want you to be there, you know, because this is the program, this is the program you have to graduate from. Sometimes you outgrow a program, yeah. and, and some of them did that. And that was, to me, that is excellent. When, you know, you're ready to fly, you're ready to try something new, something different. That's great. Well, can, I, can I ask you, I... To, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, the um, we do a so percussion does a summer festival every year, and now we're 12 years into it. And every year, I still have this crushing anxiety the day of the start of the festival. Where I'm like, nobody's going to show up, and then they show up, and I'm like, I wish they hadn't shown up. I'm not ready for this. You know, like <laughs> I'm an imposter. Every year, I have that same problem, and I, I don't want to assume that you've had that your whole career at, at any point. But the very, can you talk about the very first year? So you've convinced. You've convinced your faculty administrators and Larry at accounting that everything's worthwhile. You walk in, your nameplate's on the door. All of a sudden, people show up. Like, what What was your – what? talk to me about that very first day of, like, meeting your students and, like, what was going through your – like, were you questioning all of your life choices up to that moment? Were you – were you, were you oh, yeah. question oh, – yeah. like, for me, it's, like, re- reminding me of my wedding day where I was like, oh, I actually want to climb out the window and run right now. I didn't think I'd have this feeling. <laughs> It's true. It's really true because the first year, the they, the university they didn't know about Pan, mm-hmm. nothing about steel band, nothing about Trinidad, and we had to prove. I had to play the first year. I had to be a member of the band. Most of my students have never seen me play, but that first year I had to be a member of, of the band. Mm-hmm. And two of my students from Trinidad, actually two of my Trinity students who had been in my band, they came up too, and then. I, I had a couple of friends that said, you know, you're all going to play in the band. And then I went to the jazz band and said, look, you're going to come and learn 
my mother, young man, he said, what? <laughs> what am I going to do? I said, yeah, that's what you're going to do. <laughs> and so we had these, this little group of, of six of us. And the first year, we went and we performed in Holland. You know, because you know, that's, that's what you have to do. You just have to go brave. Mm-hmm. And, but it can be. And I know my family said I was crazy because you know, I was being paid as, as, an, as an adjunct, which you know how that is. And trying to, to, to live your life on an adjunct salary at that point and basically working 48 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, was, it was a lot, yes. But, Who were yeah. some of your students that first year? Do I know any of them? Let's see. Um, that first year, it would have been, uh, well, Corey, Corey Besson. He was there. He wasn't even enrolled in school. He wanted to do, do architecture. Mm-hmm. But he came in that, that first year. Um, Eltron, Gerard, Buko, Kyle Hill, they okay. came. Up. What was there? What was that? Um, for how many of your students was this their first time in the United States? just as part of another culture? Those first three, I think most of them had traveled with me before, mm-hmm. you know, so that they had traveled before. I'm trying to think of any of them. Yeah. No, Kyla had traveled before. I mean, the most re- of them had traveled before. The reason I yeah. ask is like, I can imagine like right now, if I decided to go study in Trinidad for two years, like, even though I've been there a few times, it would still be a like, oh my God, like there's like living in another place is different than traveling to another place for a few times. And I'm like, what were some of the big, like, like just everyday culture shocks that your students were like, oh my God, what are people in Florida thinking? Like, like what's going on? Help, help. <laughs> they came into to that particular university. They found coming from Trinidad and, and many of them being used to, to Trinidad rigor in terms of school, they felt that people were lackadaisical. Mm. They felt that, and they, they sometimes, in terms of even some of the other musical groups, they felt that they weren't really practicing as they should be because we'd be there in the band room and we would Monday, Wednesday, Friday, six to eight. Mm-hmm. And even then, of course, you know how it goes. We, we created our own little panyard. Yeah. So sometimes we'd be there midnight yeah. and, None of the, the none of the, the groups were doing that, and of course, some of the other professors said you can't ask them to do that, you know, because you have them there for a specific time, and you can't ask them to go over that time. But I don't think I ever asked. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like I didn't ask them to say; they just did. So <laughs> they did. They did. They, they were there. You know, they are free to leave. <laughs> well, I, if- I don't know about that. If they wanted, well, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe the implication wasn't there that they could leave, but nobody is handcuffing them to the pan, you know, that they have to. Nobody is handcuffing them to the pan. Well, that, that's an interesting, I mean, when I, uh, uh, three of the guys in my group um, and our operations manager, Shelby, we all went down to Trinidad in February and sort of the irony of this being our last contact with human beings and face to face was in Trinidad during Carnival. Like, I'm very grateful, actually, that that's the last human contact I had with people. Um, That's nice but they, they, it was a big, um, you know, that rehearsal period that we come from the contemporary music world. We, we go to rehearse with the, with the LA Phil and it's like, we're rehearsing from one thirty to two twenty five. Yes. And at two twenty four, the orchestra manager comes out and stands by the conductor just to acknowledge that this is going to be over soon. Yes. And you union rules. I get it. I, or at least I, I under, I can empathize. I understand why those rules are in place. I get the intention 
on the other hand, this piece sucks right now and we should stay here for another 20 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> like, is 20 minutes exactly. going to kill anybody? Yes, <laughs> I know it's yeah. a slippery slope, but like, come on now. We can't play this. We ha- actually, we haven't even played through the whole thing. No, just a little piece, you know. So what if it's three o'clock in the morning and you're tired, you know? So I can understand, like, and for those for those guys in Shelby, when we got down to Shelby had had more. Shelby had played a bunch in Brooklyn, so she knew the vibe. But you know, we, I told the guys I was like, rehearsal starts at seven. As you know, that doesn't that means maybe closer to nine, maybe yeah. even nine thirty um, is when rehearsals really getting ramped up, and, and then that fun, means yeah. we're going till three. And nobody stops. Like, you want a break? Go take a break, grab a carob, but get your butt back over here because we're going to keep playing the same tune for six hours straight. And that, like, the union would have shut that down in New York and filed a grievance. Like, you know, it's just... But but again, like, I think this stuff, when people are talking about different cultures within new music or contemporary music, classical music, it's like, well, we need to talk about this too. I'll bet Beethoven 7, I'll bet the culture would be different if you had musicians with the New York Philharmonic who rehearsed Beethoven seven, like renegades rehearses pan and a minor, you know, like, like if there was some sort of, if we could just bring them a little closer, I'll bet Beethoven seven would have the energy that Xanda's arrangement has with desperados. You know what I mean? Like there's that passion and I'm not saying like, I get it. Violin player or flute player. I understand. You don't want to be in rehearsal for six hours and trumpets. It's really hard to, to blow your trumpet for six hours. You have, I understand steel drummers can do things that maybe wind players can't. I get it. But let's let's maybe come a little a little closer because I think the results will be better for everybody. You know? I agree. I totally agree. But um, well, let me ask you a little bit. So um, before I get to your your composition side of what you do, um, what has been some of? I mean, as a teacher, I'm now 15 years into like my teaching studies, and I say study because I'm not. I mean, it's a, like it's a practice. You get better at it, and you you have some days where you completely drop the ball. And wish you could take the whole day back and because you feel like you've set somebody on a path that, you know, is, is not good. Can you just talk a little bit about for yourself? What was like what is something that in your teaching has felt like a failure, but that you're really glad happened because it it really taught you something about the way people learn things or the way you learn things, something like that? That's a really good question. What has felt- Other than Leroy, don't, Leroy doesn't count. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love Leroy with all my heart. <laughs> I, I, you know, you know, Leroy is, is special because, well, everybody's special. Yes, Quint, yes. Yes, Kendall, yes. Leon, yes. John, I can't call all the names, but yes, everybody's special. But for one year, I had left Florida Memorial and, and, um, gone up to Indiana State. Mm-hmm. I was teaching music business there. And then Leroy came and he, he started at Florida Memorial and he called and he said, but you're not here. I said, no, I'm not here. And he said, but I'm here. So I had to go back. <laughs> so Leroy is special. He's, uh, he invited me to, um, he didn't know it, but there, he, you know, he lives in, as you probably aware, he lives in uh, St. Thomas and no, St. Yeah. Thomas, correct? St. Thomas, yeah. Thomas, yeah. And when the pandemic happened and the, the stuff with George Floyd happened and the whole the whole country, it seemed, and the world was on fire and everybody was screaming at each other and upset, rightfully so, for many reasons, Leroy messaged me out of the blue and just said, hey, we do church on the beach. Here's the Zoom link if you want to come in. I'm preaching today. Oh, and I was like, oh, gosh. oh. 
like totally out of the blue. Like, and I, I went and I sat there and listened to Leroy. You know, he was reading, he read a chapter verse and gave a little thing and then talked and they all said, I was just like, Leroy, you have no idea. You have no idea what, like, and so for me, I don't know. Like I, I just, again, that's one of the reasons I want to talk to you because I think, I mean, Leroy is a good person. He's a good dude, but I think he is demonstrating something that has been demonstrated to him. And I don't want to, I don't want to assume that you, he's not, he's not mirroring something that you've mirrored to him. And I, that's why I wanted to speak with you. You got a whole crew. There's not one former student of yours who I've met who I've been like, wow, that's a real dud. (laughs) So, so, uh, you know, take that for what, take that for what it's worth. But is there any moments in your own teaching? I know from, I'll, I'll give one for myself. There was a, a group, there's a piece by Zanakis um, called Poe. It's part of a larger piece called Pleiades. And it's all drums, there's six players, and it's really intense. You play with a click track because there's all these wild polyrhythms that, you know, people are playing 13 over 7, and it's, it's, it's totally nuts and awesome. And Zanakis' thing was like, you know, he was, you know, a Greek composer, but like uh was an anti-government sort of rebel and had half of his face blown off by a tank missile like you know so for him his music is very evocative of like aggression and tanks rolling over bones and things like that like really disturbing stuff anyway i'm in a coaching and there was a there was a woman who was in the group and i said i was really hard on her about playing with a bigger sound in the moment and and not realize not reading the room as like she was the one woman in the group with five other guys. I didn't. I totally misread. I was just being like trying to teach her about Zanakis's music, and what was coming out was me being like, "You need to play more like these dudes." And that's not at all what I in my head what I wanted. I or why what I wanted her to parrot. I didn't want her to pretend to be a guy. And none of that. It was just like I think I think you need to understand where this composer's coming from, so you can at least get yourself in that mindset, you know. And then we'll. I'm not talking about you having a manly sound or a girly sound. Like, let's just understand the context. And it really ruined her for like two days. And I, I had to spend like, luckily the festival was two weeks long. So this happened right in the beginning. So I had two weeks to try to remedy the mistake. And now she sends me Christmas cards and we're friends. And it's like, I'm not saying, but, but that moment really taught me a lot about myself as like, Oh yeah, I can do a lot of damage if I'm super excited about this other thing, but I'm not reading the room. Like the room is also important, not just my particular piece of information I want to get across. And, and I, I've, I now I'm sort of a little hesitant sometimes before I say stuff like that, just to sort of like, where's the room at? Who am I going to damage with what I'm about to say? And who am I going to, what mess I'm going to have to clean up after this? And I don't want to presume that you've had, you, you seem like a more thoughtful person than me, but is there any moment in your life where you told somebody something and then on your drive home, you're like, oops. <laughs> you know, I I don't regret telling people things and I have told people a lot of things because I I always come from a place of love. Mm. You know, I I'm definitely not perfect. I'm far from perfect. But for me, when I tell you something I and I very rarely tell somebody something directly, mm. you know, because I will never tell you that you should do something this way. Mm. Uh, that's that's just not me, because I f- I feel that there are 105 ways to play play Bach, right. there are 110 ways to play Bugsy, 125 ways to play Harmon. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever come from that because I'm always learning. My my failures have been more I think more personal. Mm. 
in terms of the one or two students I couldn't help. Uh, and that, that's, that is sad to me. That's, I mean, I'm glad that you, I'm not glad that you have that in your life. I'm glad that you mentioned it because there's, I've had a similar thing where it, it feels equally like saying the wrong thing and pushing someone down the wrong path is something I felt, I have felt horrible about in my past, but also not even being able to crack through the shell. Yeah. I take personally, I don't blame the student. I, I mean, it, some days I do. And it, it is, yeah. it's sometimes mostly irrational, but, I, but I also am like, what am I doing wrong? What tool don't I have to crack through that facade? What am I, why can't I? And as a teacher, I, th- I just, I admire that, that you say that about yourself because that, that kind of sits on top of every failure that I've ever had. Like I didn't mention yeah. the students that I just completely like, because I, I don't want to use these words. I, I, these aren't the right words, but there's a point as a teacher where you sort of do have to let, you said this earlier, you have to let go and that can feel like giving up. Mm, yes. And that's not what it is, but it definitely feels that way. Like, like, you're not giving up on a student, but it definitely has that, it has that ode to it, you know? Yeah. It depends on the student. For instance, if you know that the student is going on to, you know, really, really, you know, learn and, and, and experience new and good things, then that's, that's an easy letting go. But when the student, you don't know where they're going to go. That's hard. Right. You know, and you don't know how to help them. That's even harder. Yeah. I mean, it's the, because you have fear. I mean, I have fear. I see all my students, like I said before, I have, I have zero desire to have any of them be professional steel drummers. Like that's, I can barely do that myself. Like, like I'm not, I don't, we're all trying to figure that out, but I, I want them all to be functioning human beings and have success in whatever part of their life they go into. And if there, if there's some, if I can't help them with that, that feels like a bummer. If you become an accountant and you're a dysfunctional chamber musician in your accounting firm, Mm -hmm. I could have helped you there. You yeah. Know? <laughs> if you were playing shock shock in my in my art my, my steel band, I'll bet that would have helped your your accounting practices yeah. in some way. I don't know how, but but I I wasn't able to do that, and that bums me out. So, well, I'm glad that that's an interesting, and I think all teachers should. I think that what you just said is something that even if you're a, you're a first day teacher, this is your first day on the job, just plant that nugget in there as some as a possibility because you know, it's important that you not see every student as like your personal validation for your life's work. <laughs> like, like, cause you're going to, you're going to miss some and they're going to miss you too. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about your music. Black holes uh, do exist was a piece of music that was written for steel orchestra. Is that correct? Yes. it was. Can you talk a little bit about like, when was it written? Why did you write it? Um, what was the catalyst for it and what was your sort of mindset? I mean, I have a, I have a tangential obsession with quantum mechanics and astrophysics and black holes and things like that. So this title, I'm very curious as to where you got the title, uh, anyway, cause I love that stuff, but would you mind telling me a little bit about that piece in your compositional practice? Sure. I, I compose if I have to. I'm not one of the persons who, you know, I hear music in my head all the time, but I have no desire to write it down. But that that particular piece, we we wanted to go for the 2000 World um, Steel Band Festival in Trinidad, and we needed some music. And I, I always try, I want my students to create their own music. You know, that's, that's important to me. So I didn't want to have just a piece of music. So I said, okay, I'd write a piece of music for it. 
And um, one day we were in the band room and one of the students, he did something that, and I can't even remember what it was, but I don't get upset very often. Mm. You know? I pretend I'm upset for, for long, long, long. Before <laughs> That's I also a skill upset. as a teacher, pretending you're upset. <laughs> Being a good actor or actress is really important. Yeah, yeah. But he did something that I just went into another dimension. I mean, he would not have known it, but in my mind, whoa, I was I was in a deep, deep hole, and mm. and you know, and I came to realization, you know, yeah, black holes do exist. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to black holes through a student who pissed you off, and I got to black holes through Neil deGrasse Tyson and quantum <laughs> physics. But we both got there regardless, and I think it's important to note why. Yes, yes. Of course, I love, I love, I love, you know reading and learning about science yeah, so yeah. It's, it's part and parcel of me because you you have that that whole spiral mm. where you don't know if you're going to come out on the other end you mm. don't know what's going to happen yeah. and so that was the genesis of the piece okay and that piece was funny because we had to prepare for the festival so that i was writing it and as i was writing it i was handing it to the the band members mm-hmm. because they learned it as i was writing it yeah then we had to finish it in time to go down to Trinidad for the festival. And actually, we we um, tied for first in our in our ensemble class, you know. So that was the first time an outside band had had won a festival in Trinidad. So that was that was good. Outside <laughs> band, and so they would call you a foreigner ba- or a foreign band. Except most of your band was probably made up of of Trinis, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, so it's exactly, it was a technicality. Exactly. They got you on a technicality, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Americans and Chinese and and um, VIs and the one and the that. one or two white guys in the group really gives it away that you're a foreign band if uh, if you're trying to hide. Um, well, that's uh, can is there a recording of the piece? I mean, I know we there was there was a live thing up online, but um, is there any yeah, proper recording? Only really one. Yeah, we. I think we did a um, again. I I I don't write for writing sake, so. I think there's a recording. It's not a very, very good one, but and is it scored out? It was. Quent would have that if, if anything. Okay. All right. I would. I mean, because here's. I would love to at some point when we can get back. I'm, I'm sort of. I'm programming stuff at NYU right now. We're doing. We're doing the fall uh, online because of the COVID stuff here, and I'm trying to sort of think of programming that we can send students like. I don't know. I'm trying to think of stuff. And this piece, every time I, I listen to this piece, I'm just like, this is like from outer space. This is like, like a, like an alien came down and just tapped you on the head and was like, here's some music. And I, I really keep coming back to it. I'm just like, I got to figure out how to do this. Like, this has got to be done more than once, you know, like this, yeah. we can't let Actually, this happen more, the, just one I time. Chair, I was chair of the National Steel Orchestra in Trinidad. Um, the, not the one that's now, but the one that was then. And they did it. And so that 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 should be scored. I I, I, I think that's cool. I'll ask Quint. He and I have been texting a bunch um, recently about stuff. I'll ask him about that score. And Kendall. And I look in my um in my files, and I should have it. And I'll ask Gerard. I think Gerard has it too. Who's Gerard? Buko. Oh, yes, got it. Okay. One of the first yeah. And so you've since retired, and you are now in, in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and what do you do now for your for what do you do now other than well, sit inside your house like the rest of us? Well, I I retired because um, I have a daughter. She's just now she's thirteen, just turned thirteen, 
So I wanted to spend time with her because I was going between Indiana and, and Florida for a while and that became a little too much, much too much. And so now I'm chair of the board of her school and right now what we're doing is, what I'm doing is trying to figure out how to deal with students in school for COVID and so I'm on webinars and Zooms and and with the health department and you know just just trying to figure it out how to keep everyone safe and in addition what i've been doing is i've been using the the pan as an instrument for workshops and diversity and because what i find is as when i do those workshops the pan as usual it brings everybody together and these are people who are, you know corporate and and art art institutions that have never touched the instrument but they come and they learn and then i use that as an example of how we can get together mm. how we can utilize you know we can just look at one thing and come together because we all have some that we can start to go together well, what as I mean, as you're, I agree 100 percent with everything you just said. I have, I feel no need to add anything onto that. Um, what What are you in terms of your 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 uh, your work on the on the school board? Um, what has been is the per, the perception I have seeing the, the 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 meetings and stuff that have been going on at uh, you know NYU and Princeton and places where I work and seeing my wife. You know, my wife's a Lutheran pastor, and so she's trying to figure out how to open up her church in the fall, if that's even possible. And she's getting health recommendations from the state of Connecticut, like every four days, you know, is there a, is it, is it like, I, like when I mentioned earlier about systems being, there's a Larry at the other end of the line making decisions. Right. And it's just a person. The thing about all of these discussions happening right now is people want to talk about it as being this, like, you know, uh, schools need to reopen. It's like, well, yeah, but there's a Don at the other end of that line trying to figure that out. Like, like, like this isn't, there's, yes, there's the government, you know, there's the president saying, yes, all of that. Sure. That feels crazy and and not helpful sometimes. But in reality, there's a lot of people on these calls and it's just, everybody's trying to, we're all making it up, right? Like Mm -hmm. it really, am I, am I off base by saying that the general sense is that it's a lot of really smart people yeah. facing a crisis and just don't know what to do and they're making it up. Yes, because you start with science as a base. And you wait, try wait, sorry, stop, stop. Say that one more time for people and say it slow so people can hear it because it's maybe the most important thing that you said so far this entire <laughs> hour. <laughs> sorry. Well, it's, you know, you start... It's funny because who would think that, that you'd have to say that? But anyway, you start with science as the base. You know? And right now, you know, things change. And that's, that is because we're learning. No one, no one can tell me that they know everything about this virus. You know, people are learning. And as, as days go by, we learn more. And we change what we're doing based on the information that we have, mm-hmm. be it new. So don't look back five weeks ago and say, but we were doing that then, and so we should be doing that now. No, we can't, because now we know more. We know we have to mask. We know we have to be physically distant. We, you know, there's certain things we know that we have to do. We know that we don't necessarily have to wipe down our, our, our groceries, because that's not how it's, it's transmitted. Mm-hmm. But Again, you look at the basis. Hopefully, 
everyone, you know, hopefully again, hopefully, everyone is starting from the basis that we care for our people. We care for our children. We care for everyone. So wearing a mask, it protects not only you, it protects the person that you, with the persons with whom you come into contact, you know, and you start that step. Nobody's asking anybody to put on a suit of armor and walk on your hands. You know, that might be a little bit difficult, but wearing a mask, being physically distant, not socially distant, and being creative, you know, we can find ways to come together. Well, I, I feel like steel, steel drum diploma, excuse me, steel drum diplomacy is like we need to create the department of the Caribbean, Caribbean diplomacy or something with the government where it's like everybody, it's like, if you have a problem, like we're not going to talk about anything until you play in a steel band for a week after that, then we'll talk like (laughs) once you've had some really good food and a little, you've had your butt handed to you by your section leader and you understand what you know, a good drummer sounds like, then we'll talk about your that issues is with whatever's happening. Well, uh, well, well, Don, I really appreciate your time. It, um, your name has come up a million times and it's super, super nice to put a face with the name and a voice. Uh, and it's not, it's not a lot. It's no, it's no mystery to me as to why your students talk about you the way they do. Um, and I really do. I'm jealous of them that I never got to study with you. Um, so if I show up on your front door with my drums, don't be scared. Um, I'm, here. I'm there. For, I'm there for lessons. <laughs> You're always welcome, and I might show up and get some lessons too. Yeah, well, all my, all my New York people, Iman and Quent and Kendall and 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 Kareem, and I'm going to forget all the the New York people that are people, and all of them all over the world. Love everybody. Well, I, I know for a fact that they are all like, it, when I mentioned to them I was doing a podcast with you, they were like, oh, tell her I love her. Tell her. I was like, well, you can tell her too. You can, you can send her a Zoom link. That's all I did. Like, I didn't <laughs> do anything. I just went, boop, and sent a Zoom link. So you, you do it. You tell her. But on behalf of the entire Brooklyn community, Dr. Batson, I think they all love you. So just know that. <laughs> Thank you. And I love them right back. Um, well, I will let you go. I won't take any more of your time. We're coming up on an hour here. Um, and um, is there a place where, um, in terms of anything that you're working on, um, is there a place where you feel folks, if there's something that they want to learn more about you, where can they find out more about what you're doing and your, your students? Um, what do you recommend folks look up? Hmm. Just look me up on Facebook. I'm probably, um, people are trying to get me to start a blog, and I may do that. And if I do that, I'll let you know. Why are you not starting a blog? Don't you start with me, too. <laughs> I'm allowed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You are. are you- <laughs> I, I just asked a question. Why are you not starting? What, what, let, me t- let me ask you this. If you were to start a blog, what would your blog be about? All, all sorts of things. All sorts of things. Pan and diversity and inclusion and equity. Because I look at what's happening today. I look at what's happening in our country. And... It scares me mm-hmm. because sometimes I, I feel that we are moving a little bit too far away from what should be the essence, that care for each other. Mm. And I guess that's what it would be about yeah? and using the music as a center. Well, I do not want to put any pressure on you, seeing as how this is the first time we've met. And I don't want that to be the last thing you remember is that I tried to peer pressure you or bully you into doing a blog. But let me just say that Right now, there is no shortage of people who have opinions. 
but there is a real shortage of people who have substance. And you have the data points behind you to show that what you're saying is not bullshit. And I really, really would love, it would bum me out if 10 years from now the world had collapsed and if anyone could have been helped by one of your blog posts to just to see the world in a slightly more nuanced way, I will come knock on your door and say, I told you you should have started that podcast or that blog. <laughs> so my, I would say I would love to see and hear, your, I would love to see and hear your voice in the conversation more because I, I, I think the reason people are asking you for it is because you've got a good one and you're smart and people will listen. So that take that for what it's worth, but by all means, you do whatever you, you feel like is best for you. Thank you. I'll get started on it. I will get started on it. All right. Well, I don't, I don't want the last word to feel like I, I bullied you into something, but, but Dr. Well, you can't bully me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really hope uh, my, my policy with the podcast is that the door is always open. Um, and I love to talk to people more than once. There's no way that we're going to get to know each other in one hour. So um, let's just put a pin in this and come back to it. You're always welcome. And if there's anything you want to talk about, um, if there's some student of yours who's doing something awesome that I don't know about, you want to chat about, please don't hesitate to hit me up. And if you just want to talk and scream about stuff, your fr- masks policies that you're frustrated with that no one's listening to, I'm here for you. Um, um, thank you for everything that you're doing and for what you're giving to your students. You know, that's, 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 that's very special and it means a lot. Well, thank you. I, you are quite welcome, and I, I genuinely appreciate it. And I think the students having you um, as their teacher prior to me makes my life super easy. So um, thank you. On that note, I will let you go. Uh, Dr. Dr. Don Batson, thank you so much for your time, and I hope to chat with you again sooner than later, okay? It's been a pleasure. All right, you stay safe, okay? You too. Take care. Bye. Okay, this podcast was brought to you by Liquid Drum, L-I-Q-U-I-D-R-U-M.com. Hilarious percussion vids, great education. Check them out, liquiddrum.com. Also, all the steel drums I play on and teach on were built by Kyle Dunleavy. You can check out his work at dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y-Pans.com. Also, if you're interested in advocacy or more information around the steel drum, uh, there's a great organization in Brooklyn called, excuse me, Brooklyn, New York, called Pan and Motion, and you can check them out. Uh, they're all friends of mine: uh, Trisha, Arisha, Kendall, Jerry, you name it. Um, advocating and fighting for steel drum awareness uh, in Brooklyn. You can check them out at panandmotion.com. Also, um, there's a, an organization called Mango Chow that's based in Brooklyn. You can find them on Facebook, Mango Chow, C-H-O-W. Um, Aleandria makes amazing merch uh, that I, I think you'd really enjoy. It's beautiful, and it just brings more awareness around the steel drum in the United States. So check him out at Mango Chow on Facebook. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I always enjoy talking to total strangers and making new friends. So I hope you enjoyed this. It was a pleasure to talk to Dr. Batson. Hope you're all doing well. Talk to you soon. Bye.